Hello fellow sports photographers. My name is Dean Mukthropoulos, or All Sports Snapper, as I am called by no one but used on my social media, and I'm a sports photographer working full-time for Getty Images. Welcome to the Sports Photography Philosophy Podcast, where I have open discussions with the world's best sports photographers, as well as speak about my experiences traveling to various places around the world covering events. In this podcast, you'll get an insight behind the long lenses from the men and women who fill your sports pages, websites, and magazines with amazing imagery. Previous listeners will know the drill by now, but for the newbies, any questions or comments, get in contact with me via Twitter or Instagram on AllSportSnapper or my website, AllSportSnapper.com. Today's show is part two of a two-part special with Tony Duffy the man who started the sports photography industry with the iconic Bob Beeman photo smashing the long jump world record at the 1968 Mexico Olympics. If you have not heard episode 22, then please stop here, go back and have a listen. We continue where we left off about shooting the Olympics in 1984, getting motorbikes to pick up film and then run them to get developed through the streets of LA, working with iconic athletes of the 1980s, including American sprinter Flojo, the original camera and lens that started the sports photography industry, the all-sport transition to Getty Images, and we finish with the passion for sports photography still going strong with many of the legends still in the game, and much, much more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the Sports Photography Philosophy Podcast. To LA, um, the swimming pool. You you would shoot your rolls of film, and then would you would have the guy on the motorbike pick them up and then take them. Oh to yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so just just to uh, I can tell you um, first of all before I forget, LA was the last Olympics where the aquatics was held outdoors. It okay. was held at, at the USC. Um, Aquatic Center, they built a special pool, 50-meter pool and a separate diving pit, etc., for the Olympics, um, and that was held outdoors. So we had gorgeous light. We were shooting, I think it was Fujifilm or Agfachrome, whichever you preferred in those days. So we were getting deep color saturation. It was perfect blue skies the whole way, oh, good weather. Nice. And that ever since then, it's been indoors. But yes, um, I'll give you a classic case. Uh, was I think it was 19, probably 93 maybe, they had the World Championships in Dusseldorf, World Championships of Track and Field. And um, we had a few Brits that were up there with a good chance of medals and of course plenty of Americans. And what we'd do is we'd shoot the finish of the race um, with a guy you know, running through with his arms up in the air. Hopefully he was a winner where we had strong uh, course for pictures. And we'd take the film out, throw it, <laughs> literally throw it to the motorbike messenger who had access to trackside that Bob Martin had arranged. He'd catch it, put it in his bag, get any other film from other photographers, and then just motorbike it back to the press center, which was short. I mean, two-minute drive away. It was like a race, and everyone entered into the space. It was like a, a relay, you know, where you pass the baton over to the next guy. So this guy had come hurtling into the press center on his motorbike. They were running into the dark room. They'd be all set and ready. 
they'd go through the film as you know process the film as fast as they could and look at it wet you know oh man it was just like a dream you know yeah, yeah, and and what and what was the same the distribution like to the newspapers? Like you said, obviously the U back the, back then the newspapers were the main. Uh, oh source yeah, of and they like started that. started to use color by that time as well. Um, oh yeah, so we had all the outlets um, set up in advance, you know, and wiring and such. But even the wiring was rudimentary compared with today's. Um, wiring systems, uh, transmission systems. I mean, I don't think it can get much quicker than it is nowadays. Right, ten seconds from track finish to to um, to on the picture editor's desk in New York and L.A. and London, Paris and Rome, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, in, in the early days, it was it was a bit of a game. You know, we we ended into the spirit of it, and uh, we, I mean we. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm sure you know, but like for the listeners, some who haven't heard on the previous, you know, we'd shoot the cable plugged into the camera. It goes to the picture desk, whether it be in Rio or London or wherever it was, and then, yeah, they distribute the pictures. And I think we're sort of very proud of saying within two minutes of Usain Bolt winning, I think it was like you know, 120 seconds or something around that sort yes, of thing. Yes, that's the figure I saw. It's on, it's on the yeah, 120 seconds or something from the from the moment he crosses the line. To the moment that um, the pictures are out on the feed to all the client list was 120 seconds. So, yeah, but uh, the yeah the the demands are a bit different because obviously the quantity of images that we're distributing at the moment is um, is uh, probably oh, as staggering. Yeah. It's staggering to me. I yeah every time I see Lee, I say how do you how do you cope with this? You know, and not just doing sport either. You know. You get, Lee's, I don't, I think I'm correct in saying Lee isn't just sport, is he? He's all the other. Yeah, I think he's well. in charge of sales full stop. So yeah. He's, uh, yeah so I he said, how do you cope? You know, it was a full time job just keeping up with sport in those days. I used to speak with Lee a lot more actually because when, like I said, when I was in London doing the boxing, I'd cover a lot of amateur boxing and uh, Steve uh, loves his boxing. He's a big. Uh, and he used to love his amateur boxing, I think, as yep. much as the professional side of it as well. So, you know, he'd always tell me about fights or young fighters that were coming up and stuff like uh, that. He was over the moon was, with uh, Joshua. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, that was... Oh, massive, man. Massive he, was, he posted a picture on Facebook, I think it was, of, uh, of him with Joshua at his arm around him, like, the day before the fight. And I said, and how nice was it to have two fighters respect each other for a while? I know. Wasn't, I, I hadn't seen the fight and shown it over here as far as I can tell. But I read all about it and studied all the photos and read all the blurb, you know, the pre-fight publicity. And I, I saw Mike Tyson had come out and said um, that when you got a, when you got two fighters like that that could do such a brilliant fight, You've altered the landscape now. Nobody needs to go through that trash talking. You know, exactly. we've been, been there, done that. Let's move on now and uh, make make the sport what it traditionally used to be. Respecting, you know, respecting, you know, the, the amount of effort, you know, yeah. a professional boxer knows how hard it is to get in the ring full stop. So yeah, just having that sort of, you know, even I think uh, I saw there was some sort of there was a message of Klitschko, you know, congratulating Joshua after his win. I mean, it was just like, yeah, you know, 
and and I'm sure Joshua, you know, if it went the other way, you know, Joshua probably would have said he the would same have. thing. It just felt because it just felt like you know everybody here respects each other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, completely different uh, to you know, like you said. And the worst part, uh, you know, from the old fights, you know, trash talk, trash talk, fight finishes. Oh, I respect you. You know what I mean? Like, hang yes. on, five minutes ago you told you hated him, and now, uh, you know, so just having that from start to finish was the way I think it's what boxing needed. Uh, it absolutely uh, did. Especially. Absolutely did. I mean, the two boxers, I don't care what level you are, amateur, professional, whatever, at the at the, the bow at the end, they just fall into each other's arms, don't they? Because they've both survived. They've both been through the same thing and survived, you know, a shared experience. Yeah. So there's exactly. a bond, isn't there? between the athletes and you see this in other sports but nowhere more dramatically focused than in a boxing ring nowhere to hide in boxing is there nowhere to hide yeah and, <laughs> yeah and i, I thought that, you know bringing it back to the sports photography you know, uh, you know one of our photographers richard heathcote was there and uh, yeah. nbc from action images and you know we had a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, obviously very talented. And, you know, uh, Graham Chadwick was another photographer there from the Daily Mail. And yeah. uh, everybody was just saying how great, what a great experience it was. Sure. And, you know, how much of an honor it was to be there. And, you know, you know, you know, and you see the guys ringside, you know, they, they could feel and see and photograph the, you know, a, a, a great moment in, in boxing history as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was just the whole thing just, had a good, dealt, uh, left it? a good taste in the mouth as they, you know, yeah, they, they, it really dealt. Being... And it, you know, at the top level, like it, it should bring you out in goosebumps when you see something that's almost yeah. unique. I mean, I remember just going back to Rio, uh, watching the final of the soccer, and um, and it was Brazil, Germany, and they had a last minute penalty in overtime. Um, or it was a penalty shootout, whatever. And Neymar had to take the final penalty. If he scored, Brazil won. If he didn't, you know. It was back to the drawing board. And talk about pressure. In your home country with 100,000 people there, all hoping you're not going to miss, you know. And (laughs) it's when he scores and the sheer passion that that unleashed, you've got to be almost inhuman not to be... You know, not to come out in goosebumps when you see something like that. Because it's really sports all about. Hundred percent. I mean, the same. I, I always think of those kind of moments. There was a, a in the Sydney Olympics. Uh, Kathy Freeman was a yes, a meter classic runner. case, absolute classic. classic. Case. You know, uh, she had so much pressure on yes, her. Yes, unbelievable. Public. And the Aussies are no different in the English in sort of building people up and then, you know, shooting them down as soon as sure. they can succeed. That's so real. when she won, you know, the 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 the, the, the sheer uh, exhaustion of not only the race but just the pressure, the pressure. The yeah. from her shoulders was you could just see it on yeah. her and obviously the crowd went crazy and everything, but it was exactly the same thing. And, you know, again, having, you know, we've got photos of her, you know, sprawled on the ground and yeah the, she, the, the, she was spoiled at the end you know like the burden had been lifted but it took her a yeah. while to to really get up you know and enthused didn't it yeah if i, mean, I yeah, remember right else. didn't she just sit down on the track and more or less put her head in her hands almost 
exactly. That's yeah. exactly what she did. Just, I think, yeah. And again, it wasn't uh, tired from the race. It was. No, she's trained for that. Relief. Relief. Yeah. More was probably a word. God damn it. Not only the pressure of being expected to win for Australia, but also for her own race. Exactly. And she'd let the bloody torch, hadn't she, to start with? Exactly, yeah. She was, uh, came she, up was the, she was the face of Australia. She was. For that, for that Olympics. So the pressure on that girl was almost unimaginable. Same what about, as, like, what about you? Like, what about, have, uh, you've obviously shot a lot of amazing events. Like, wh- is there any moments that you sort of can think of, you know, I'm sort of, I was glad, glad I was... I was there, glad I saw this, glad I've been here to photograph this, or have you know, coming away with oh, your, so you know, many, um, oh, so many from the from Olympics <laughs> and World Cups and uh, Wimbledon's and you know, um, yeah, I'd <laughs> well, going through your set of images and and just saying, geez, amazing, you know, like the the moment itself. Yeah, I think for me the the moment. For me, it was um, Flojo winning the um, the gold medals in uh, Seoul in '88 for the Seoul Olympics, and particularly the 100 meters. So as we said earlier, when there's a personal connection with the athlete, then it just heightens the tension. And I mean, if you knew Joshua personally, then the fight would be even more intriguing, and uh, you'd be nervous for him and palm sweating and all the same thing because you want it so badly for them. And she was a local girl. I knew her very well. I'd done a lot of shoots with her. And um, I would call her a close friend. And um, she had all the pressures of being the favorite, same as Simone Biles had in Rio. And uh, she, you know, won the 100, the first uh, gold medal, and she just, I mean, her arms went up in the air um, and she started running around the track and um, somebody had thrown a flag over the uh, balcony, an American flag. She picked it up, put it around her shoulders and she turned around to start a lap of honor. And the first person she saw was me, you know. <laughs> and she just put her arms up in the air and came and gave me the most, you know, biggest hug. And, oh, wow. Um, and I never let that down. You know, the uh, other photographers are saying afterwards, you lucky bastard, how did you work that? You know? <laughs> and, and, uh, was that the one with the, like she had that, that outfit as well? Was that, was that the... Uh, uh, no, she just had the regular USA okay. strip, uh, okay. all red. It was fortunately all red in those days, which made it for, for pictures. No, yeah. she, as I said, she'd come around the studio in... Um, uh, Santa Monica earlier that year and uh, we'd gone to lunch and she said look um, I've developed these um, one-legged outfits well no to start with she said I've developed some really photogenic track outfits I think the sport needs livening up you know would you like to be would you like to do the photos and I said sure you know and I was, I was thinking to myself, I ought to photograph her and do a feature on her in any case, because, uh, you know, she's, at the time, she wasn't a hot favorite, but she was one of a number of favorites. And um, so we did all these shoots, one-legged outfits, studio, location, running through the surf, all that stuff. 
And um, so then came the uh, Olympic trials and she absolutely murdered the record. She ran 10.49 for the 100 metres and um, that's still the world record for the 100. And the wind was measured at, at two per second, which is the exact, you know, allowable limit. And everyone was there, myself included, thought it was wind-aided because that wind was swirling around. So she was the luckiest girl under the sun if it was bang on two meters a second when she ran her 100. But even so, it was a really fast race. And people forget that. They say, oh, I was wind-aided or she was drug-aided or never failed a drug test. Um, and I know yeah, that doesn't mean a lot in this day and age, but... Uh, so she set the 100 metres record, then she set the world record for the 200. And from that point on, the media were beating her past to her door. She had more covers in 1988 than any other woman except for Princess Di. Princess Di was the only one that had more her picture on more covers than Flojo all around the world. And um, so come the Olympics, I mean, the media wanted, she ended up with uh, uh, three golds and a silver. And um, in my opinion, it could have been four goals, uh, but well, that's a different story. But anyhow, so everyone wanted photos of her um, with her gold medals, you know. And and uh, her agent, she got an agent by this time, and uh, he was t- taking offers from Perry Match and Life Magazine, you know, starting at hundred grand and so on. And she said, no, you've got to put Tony on the list, she said. So we got in there for about five minutes uh, into a hotel room. Bob Martin set up a studio and we fired off some quick shots, which didn't cost us a penny, and we had no restrictions on them at all. And I think the the, the one that I remember was a close-up of her holding the medals, you know, three golds and a silver, with her long fingernails in in twine she had these multicolored uh almost chinese like fingernails you know and then uh, they were proper long too weren't they they were like she had long uh the fairly long nails as well wasn't she like, oh they were very long like i say like yeah. chinese lengths almost begin to double back so she had to start with her uh, knuckles you know she didn't think she put her knuckles on the line running but uh, but she was a photographer's dream because she was long flowing hair you know outrageous outfits off when she wasn't competing for USA and um, and loved the camera you know I was just a kid you never met a camera you didn't like and she loved <laughs> anyhow, to me uh, she was like Dave Cannon was to um, uh, Sebi Ballesteros Yes, of course. Uh, Sebi was Dave's favourite, if you like, quite rightly too. You know, the two got on well. They were friends to start with. And then Sebi became a legend in his own sport, just like Flojo did. So, yeah, I guess if I had to single out just one of many, many, that because of the personal connection, I think that really brought it home. Wow. Thank you for that. That's nice. I like that. And what about like obviously you've been you you're an American now I guess you've been in the well States I took out so citizenship but you can have dual citizenship so I never renounced my British 
citizenship. Of course. <laughs> you never know when you to... never need it right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've, kept, I've kept this podcast a Trump-free zone at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> keep it that way, shall we? <laughs> oh, God. I've tried to keep. Uh, I, I try to keep out of politics. I just want to try and keep the sports photography because once I get started on that, I'm probably I know. Either. I tell you what, that's <laughs> that's really the the role that sport has to play. It's like the bread and circuses in Roman times. You know, the Roman emperors <laughs> realised we got to give them something to take their mind off politics. You know, <laughs> let's have a great gladiatorial contest in the Circus Maximus, and yeah. And it was all free. Uh, event on. It was like the drug of choice <laughs> for the locals. Uh, definitely, definitely a big distraction from uh, looking at world politics at the moment. That's for sure. Yes, exactly. And uh, so it's unfortunate that as so much money has poured into sport, and with it, obviously, so much corruption because the two go hand in hand. Um, to see the Olympics survive, you know, barely surviving, but. They yeah. have survived because it's such a damn good concept for the athlete. You know, it means something to the athletes. They make friendships that last their lives at the Olympics. And we do too, you know, on the peripheries. You meet photographers there, you probably keep in touch with some you just, you know, clicked with. 100%. Yeah. I don't want to sort of go on a, a thing, but, you know, the Olympics for me, you know, I'm, you know, I have Greek background and, you know, I, you know, sort of, you know, I've, I like a little bit of history and you look into sure. it and there's something with the, you know, there's something about athletics for me that sort of, again, you know, it's hard to say now because of all these sort of, you know, with the Russian scandals yeah. and, you know, <clears throat> and all these kind of stuff, but, you know, that... <clears throat> Just that pure sort of, you know, you run from this line to that line yeah. as fast as you can. And, you know, that, that, that purity of, you know, no, again, nowhere to hide. Exactly. You know, who's the fastest? Who yep. can throw, you know, the, 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 the javelin? I was going to say spear, thinking back to the yeah, yeah. Greek. Yeah. Uh, no, your forefathers you know, started the whole concept. Yeah. <laughs> and they. But that kind of, that, that kind of, that kind of purity of athletics, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, and also the 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 color of the the outfits. And, sure. You know, like you said, it's outdoors. And everything about something it. about athletics. Everything about it is yeah. for me. You know, is is the is the Olympics. You know, that's that's what the Olympics is for me. You know, the ultimate for a sport to talk about. Yeah, definitely the ultimate. The ultimate for me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, nowadays, <clears throat> largely due to the Bob's Bob Martins of the world and others that have had input with the right people. We've got coloured backdrops for everywhere. I mean, the London backdrops for any sport you care to mention, pastel shades, you know, beautiful colours. No yes. more shooting into, you know, a wooden fence or a concrete, you know, wall. Uh, like in past Olympics, it's just everything's beautifully photogenic now. And yeah, well, that's the that's Olympics, cool. though. Is uh, I think the Olympics, and I, I still put like Wimbledon as that the, the exceptions for that though as well now, because obviously sponsorships become such a massive part of the of sport yeah. as well. It's uh, you know everywhere is a, a board. You know, I shoot a lot of uh, German football, okay, uh, Bundesliga, yeah. and uh, you know there's it's you know somehow sometimes it's two sign deep sponsors boards. So, you know, that sort of yeah. iconic sort of, you know, shooting into the crowds, you know, yeah. and I remember, you know, having my wall covered with posters of, yeah. you know, pictures from 
photographers that I've ended up working with, you know, of, you know, shooting into the, you know, with stands, with, you know, full stands, crowds. Now that's all become sponsors boards, which is, makes it a bit more difficult to get in, to get those. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really does. Do you still shoot much at all? Do you still? No, not any? really. Uh, I Nothing. shot a couple of track meets lately. I've, um, this year, as I say, uh, last week and a week before, I shot um, a couple of local meets that had sort of Olympic class people there. Um, and very social as much as anything. I mean, most of the athletes I used to know personally are now head coaches or whatever or or their parents whose kids are competing. Um, so, you know, it's just nice to be there, take pictures, um, soak up the atmosphere and see old friends. It's, it's as much social as, well, I, I don't have any markets for pictures anymore. Uh, so I just shoot to please myself and, you know, maybe. What do you shoot on now? What's the camera of choice? Well, I've got a, 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 a hundred to 400 um, zoom and uh, it's 3.5 to 5.6. But I mean, that doesn't matter anymore because nine times out of 10 when I shoot, it's perfect conditions, you know, in California. And uh, in any case, you know, the, you don't have to worry with um, digital. What about the film speed or anything else? So you know, that's the thing that I was going to say, you know, this is part of that reason that I appreciate what you guys have done before. You know, like you said, you know, we're shooting at 160 and, you know, like I, I, I've shot a tennis tournament indoors and I had to shoot it at 10,000 ISO just to, you know, which, yeah. is, uh, which, which was, when it would have been do. impossible. Impossible. Back in the do, day. You know, even 10 years, even 10 years ago yeah. you know, with digital. So it's just come such a long way. And, you know, you know, you're talking massive memory cards and, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just a completely, you know, and obviously autofocus is... That was you know, the hardest thing to learn. Autofocus yeah. was, I mean, focusing, manual focusing was the hardest thing to learn. And it wasn't until, I think it was 91, that Canon came out with the first automatic focus. Yeah, I so think you it was manually 90. focused everything before the... Yeah, before you the had order. to, and that was the hardest thing. Was that we used to send young photographers out on the street outside our offices in, in Morden and just say, start mm -hmm. focusing on cars coming towards you and follow focus with them right away through. And, um, you know, whatever, whatever you see, just try and immediately focus it. What was, um, what, what lenses were you using back, you know, like again, we'll go back sort of, you know, early 80s, late seventies, early eighties. What lenses? Well, I remember the 76 Olympics. Um, uh, I was always a Nikon user until 91 when Bob Martin arranged for Canon to give me a load of their gear to free of charge or on permanent loan, as they prefer to call it, um, to change. And by that time, my eyes were deteriorating fast and I needed autofocus. So I switched but up to then I'd been a Nikon user. And in 1976, they came out with a, the 400mm 2.8 lens, which in view of all the light problems that we were constantly facing, the, those fast lenses were like gold dust at the time, you know, because you couldn't you couldn't compensate any other way. Yeah. You know, you were down to shooting 125th of a second and trying to figure out if I catch them at the apex of their jump, it might look sharp enough, you know, wow. knowing that you couldn't possibly shoot at a thousandth or even five hundredths, you know. And so on. Yeah. So the 400 2.8 was a huge breakthrough 
it really needed a monopod if you were going to be there for any length of time at all. But it was possible to handhold it. And they had a 600 F4 at the same time, but that was just almost too long. That definitely needed a, a monopod. What was the camera that you shot the Bob Me? What was the Bob? Uh, the Bob Beenum shot. That's a, it's funny. That's a one lens and camera. I do remember. Um, I had a, a Nikon F, uh, the early model, a manual, no no uh, manual rewind, no motor drive attached, one frame, one frame at a time job. And just before I left uh, Mexico City, to make myself look more like a professional photographer, I bought a 300 auto, a 300 millimeter nickel mat, it was called. And it was a 4.5. And it was the longest lens I could afford. And I thought, damn, this makes me look really professional. you know. And that was the lens I shot beaming on. And a funny story, after long after um, I'd left and it was over in the States, uh, Steve Powell told me that he said, we had an equipment cupboard um, where photographers would put their equipment that is now out of date or no longer in use or... Yeah, so it was like an all-sport equipment company where the uh, young guys could try out different lenses. And he said, I was walking past there the other day and these two guys, one said, look, here's a, here's a 300 millimeter 4.5. And the other one said, I'm not using that piece of crap, he said. <laughs> he can possibly take a picture with that. Look at it. And just then Steve stopped them and said, you know, it's a picture in the entrance. Of Beeman's long jump, he said that was the lens that shot that on. <laughs> I guess the two guys sort of uh, <laughs> coloured up or whatever. But yeah, back to the old saying, you know, it's not what it's not the equipment you got; it's the eye you've got that is critical. That's, yeah. So that, that Bob Beeman was just pretty much manual focus, one shot. One shot. That's yeah. It, that's all you've got. Uh, it was the only shot. In fact, a, a story I've told many times is there were two Americans. Uh, Ralph Boston, who was more favoured to win, um, he was a co-world record holder, I think, and um, and Beeman, who was an up-and-comer and a wild one. Yeah, he didn't know what he was going to do. He could foul by a foot or take off a foot before the line or what. He didn't know what was coming, but he was all natural talent and raw speed. And um, they obviously had big bib numbers and um, when I looked at the role of film eventually uh, the spool were black and white and uh, I could see even with my naked eye that one of the two Americans um, was out of focus I didn't even need to put the loop on it to see that so I was scrambling for the um, start list because by this time I'd, I'd realized you know what a sensational jump it was and um, and I was lucky that the Beeman one was the sharp one and the Boston one was the out of focus one otherwise <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't uh, be here talking to you that's for sure I probably wouldn't be here either yeah so, <laughs> well you uh, might have been thanks. in a different you might have been working for someone else I might have been driving a forklift in some factory <laughs> somewhere. So thank you very much too <laughs> more likely being a surfing structure at Bondi Beach right uh, no, I would have been in Melbourne doing something, serving coffees at one of our. Hey, yeah, you'd have been day crashing. You'd have been day crashing the tennis tournament. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, I'm the most untechnical person 
Um, after Munich, you know, we came back with a load of color pictures of sports. And uh, I told you about my first partner, John Starr, the advertising photographer. And he belonged to a local camera club, the Croydon Camera Club. And he said, Tom, I want you to do a talk to the camera club. They'll be fascinated. And I said, I can't talk to them. I don't know anything about photography, you know. And he said, no, just we'll make it an illustrated talk. Just show your slides and talk about them. So we do. And um, at the end, John says, right, you've seen Tony's slides. Any questions? And the first question, I'll never forget it to the day I die. He, the guy asked, he said, uh, what about the reciprocity factor of your film? <laughs> Even my jaw just dropped open. And I said, uh, to be honest, I don't even understand the question, let alone know the answer. <laughs> so I looked at John, I said, maybe you could help me. And then they all burst out laughing. And it turned out that the guy that asked the question was a know-all, you know, okay. type. And uh, my response, which was totally true, I didn't know what the question meant and, and couldn't answer it. They all saw that as a put-down. So, you know, it ended up rebounding on the question of it. That's how little I knew. I don't know if I still know about reciprocity factor, but it threw me. I, I, I was dumbfounded by that question as well. Yeah, oh, good. I, I, I'm not the only one, but, but at least <laughs> no, you had no, the no, excuse no, no. of not having to, having to have studied it. He'd probably pass some photography exam and... That question probably tricked him up in the in the exam, and so he remembered it. All right. Well, um, we're sort of jumping around in timeline on your career. Yeah, I think so. Magnificent career, but I don't, you know, like I said, I don't mind that kind of thing. Uh, can you? I I, I want to sort of move just a little bit to you know the the end of all. Well, not the end. The uh, continuation of all sport as Getty Images. What? How how did that come about? What, what was the what was the thought process that you had? What was your reaction when you first heard that? Uh, um, well, you know, this new company was Getty was coming through the, you know, coming in and and was uh, inquiring about your. Yeah, we heard the rumours that you know Steve had said to me we've had an approach from Getty. Um, they're going they're going around buying up lots of photo agencies and media agencies generally, radio programs, a whole nine yards. Um, and I said, Steve, when I was an accountant, I worked for an American company, and believe me, they own you body and soul. I'm very happy. We've got a great lifestyle. Uh, yeah, we all enjoy what we're doing. Why give it up? And he said, well, the money. I said, I like money as much as the next man, but I like my lifestyle more. So most of the other photographers are either married, with young kids or getting married. I had been divorced and had not remarried, so I was single and I was loving life. So uh, I said to Steve, look, I would vote against it, but if you feel strongly enough, you can always outvote me. So Steve got the other directors together and uh, they agreed that um, joining forces with Getty was the way to go. So they said, look, Tony, we'll buy your shares, give you a fair price for them. And, um, you know, say goodbye. So we did. We parted way, ways. And um, uh, about a year later, they concluded the deal with Getty. 
um, for a whole lot more. <laughs> but that was bad of me. I mean, they, I was satisfied with the offer they made me. So the fact they were able to get more um, when they sold Pugetti was bad for them. You know, good luck to them. So from that point on, um, you know, I was out of touch with Allsport. And um, I think uh, gradually uh, Steve Powell, I think, was the first one to uh, leave and um, then one or two others left. But Adrian and Dave Cannon, um, well, uh, there was quite a few other shooters at the time, but Adrian was on the directorial level and um, and uh, he pretty well replaced Steve, I think, when um, Getty let Steve go and uh, and he stayed up until this last 12 months, I think, when he he's left. And so um, now Lee, a couple of years ago, there you go, and uh, Lee is the last survivor of the Allsport era as uh, on the director, I mean, he was director of all sport. He only just made the director because he was very young. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of thing that happens in business all the time. You know, partners, we, you know, Steve and myself have been in business for 25 years. Uh, he had modernized the business. He had um, ensured a smooth transition to the digital age, uh, all that stuff. Um, you know, he, he got a sort of, I didn't mean a digital age, I meant a computer age. He saw the possibilities and so on. And now the digital age came a few years later. But uh, yeah, he modernized the business. He took it from, you know, a mom and pop operation, which it was under me, uh, and streamlined it and modernized it and threw a bit of money at it and generally, you know, beefed it up. But I'm told by Adrian and Lee and others that the principles are the same. The principles haven't changed. Just the scale of things have changed, you know? Well, that's, that's. I mean, I've been at the company since 2003 and, yeah, the scale definitely has yeah. uh, evolved over those years, as, you know, in, in, in the short, in the, you know, considering, uh, you know, your long career, you know, the, my short stint of it has seen it change quite a lot as well. So. Oh, it's been a massive difference. A, and again, even in the camera. It's snowball area. rolling down a hill, isn't it? It seems to gather its own momentum. Yeah. The changes are coming thick and fast now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, we spoke a little bit off um, before the recording as well about, uh, you know, you know, 360s and, you know, virtual reality and all this kind yeah. of stuff coming in now. And, yeah, it's... And then, obviously... Where's it all going to end? I think, I think we'll all end up shooting film eventually, somehow. <laughs> and then you've got the Anyhow, social, that's media, another, the social okay. media side of it as well now. And, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, people want... You know, everyone wants pictures for free, which is another another yep. thing of social media. You know, I get a lot of messages, especially when I shoot... Like, at the moment, uh, I'm shooting the Beach Soccer World Cup. Uh, and, yes. you know we work for FIFA and they, you know, we post pictures and, you know, I get messages all the time, you know, can I have a copy of this picture? You know, where can I download this picture for free? I'm like, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, they used to set off the old alarm bells with me. Yeah. yeah. It still does. It's when they mentioned the word free. free. 
yeah. or, or going to, you know, I, you know, I've done so many events, you know, even golf tournaments or something, and someone will walk in, look, I'm, I'm doing a story on this person. Do you reckon you could just give it? Can you just give me a few photos? And like, um, yes, exactly. Uh, and to them, it's a reasonable request. Yeah, you know, not a problem. <laughs> but they tend to forget we're professionals earning a living from basically selling our work. I ended up, um, uh, I did a job and it was just a, it was a job that I wanted to do as a, a design, a design exhibition you know, uh, less than a year ago. And uh, someone contacted me and said, you know, you did some pictures of uh, one of our architecture designs, you know, can I have some free photos? I said, yeah, look, I'm design. I'm thinking about designing a new house. Can you send me some new blueprints? I'm looking, uh, can I have an architect design me a house yeah. for free? And I got no reply. <laughs> exactly. I <got> no reply. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Perfect response. So I thought, you know, because like I said, you get so many of these things, it's like, you just can't give things away. I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. No. But anyway, look, um, I, I'm, I know that uh, I need to, I, I want to wrap it up because I know I could probably sit here for yeah. Go before my um, before my second battery runs out, hopefully. Oh, second battery runs out on your telephone, but uh, no, no. <laughs> just looking at it, I think we're good to go for um, a little while longer, but not not too much longer. But yeah, it's easy to chat to you because um, I enjoy. As you get older, you enjoy reminiscing about the early days because it is so different, or it was so different then, you know, to what it is now. And my only fear is boredom that I'm boring the pants off everybody well, else. That you know? won't be a problem with me because I love uh, listening to these uh, these stories of, uh, of of you know, like I said, of, of the people that laid the, laid the, the <laughs> laid, well, you laid the foundation for us, you know, and the, you know, in every, in pretty yeah. much in every respect, you know, in terms of the photography I shoot, in terms of the obviously the the, the company I work for, in terms of the, my, the the teachers that I've had, you know, like like the Dave Cannons, like the Dave Rogers, Sean Bottrell, yeah. you know, these guys. Yeah, you know, these guys have, you know, I, I thought I knew something about photography until I got a job at Getty, and I've said this before on the on the Getty exactly. podcast. You know, yes. I thought oh, I know a little bit about this. You know, I can do this job, and then you get there and you look at these, you know, the visions of sports book, and you know, you go sit next to Sean Bottrell, yes. you know, who is a big, a massive influence on my career. Clive Mason's another one, a massive yeah. influence on my great career. Yeah. Great, great, great photographers, and the other the other name which um which you know obviously a massive admirer is Simon Baruti, which uh. Oh yeah, Simon. You know another. Well, he was, he was, um, he joined us round about. Uh, let me think now. Round um, about the middle eighties, I'm going to say, or early nineties, I think. He must have been a young, um, very I know young he, photographer then. With, oh, very young. Yeah, he, he was about seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. Um, but he, we already had a system, you know, and so he slotted into the system, and he shone, you know, improved himself by his, his work and his attitude and everything else, team player and all that stuff. Yeah, so yeah, it's it. we each have our own salvation in our own hands, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure, although the business is so crowded nowadays and it might seem impossible to blaze any kind of new trail, they are out there. Somebody's going to do it, you know. Somebody's going to see an angle that hasn't been done to death and you know whatever in whatever way it is i i can't figure it out but well that's the thing like i still see that like i said you know i still see bob i still see um you know i met simon for the first time at london as well i think we were doing some sort of show yeah, jumping or something and you know yeah. uh, you know never meet your hero sort of thing but that was a, a it's been a pleasure every time you know i think uh 
these guys understand what we're what you know as a young photographer trying to trying to make my name in the in the industry and you know these guys have been nothing but helpful and and uh, you know and friendly and uh, and tried yeah. their best well, and uh, that's nice to hear because we can all relate to our early days and the insecurities and and um, problems that we had and um, the frustrations that we felt we can relate to those so yes it's nice to hear that you know uh, those guys share what they know and you never stop learning you never stop picking up pointers you know no matter what if you keep an open mind you just never stop photographers like golf you know next shot's always going to be the hole in one <laughs> Out of all the golf, I've got one hole in one. What, no, I didn't get it myself personally, but I shot one. Um, uh, oh, you I shot, shot one hole in one. I shot hit a tee shot, and then he uh, he nailed the hole in one, and obviously went crazy with the fans, oh, and that was. I bet he yeah. did. <laughs> he made great reaction shots. Amazing. Again, same thing, and you know, um, yeah. again, the fans love it, and you know, he goes up to the fans, there's high fives, all that kind of stuff. But you know, this is the the other thing, you know, which I, I, I just just to see the passion as well that these guys still have, you know, I'm going to name uh, like yeah. Clive Brunskill who does tennis, um, Mark Thompson and Clive Mason who do our Formula One, um, Dave Cannon obviously and uh, Andrew Reddington yeah. who do all our golf. You know, these these guys yeah. are still, you know, Dave Rogers with the rugby of course, you know, these guys right. still, you know, uh, from what it sounds like, you know, they're still as passionate as they were, were back then, you know, starting yeah, off in business. As they are now, more years than I'd like to admit later, you know. So yeah, exactly. So it's inspirational for for uh, you know. I, I mean, I'm not young anymore. I'm you know, I'm 40 now, so I'm not a young man. But you know, still, I, I still feel young in photography terms. Yeah, um, that's right. And keep that way. Yes, because it is sport is a young man's business, you know. Yes, <laughs> it really is. You know, by the time you're 40. You're finished as an athlete, <laughs> and unless your name's Klitschko. Yeah, exactly. Unless, yeah, there there, there are the few exceptions, yeah. but there's not many out there. Yeah, there are a few. Federer's getting up there and so on, but um, you're just coming to your peak around about this time. Uh, thanks. Yeah. I'd, like I'd, like, <laughs> I'd like to hope so. <laughs> I would think so. I've seen your work. It's good. Thank you very and much. You don't have to have any worries about that. Okay. okay. Um, well, um, look, I'll, I'll wrap it up with you complimenting me. Um, because uh, All right. I don't have any of those these days, uh, you know, not even from my wife. So. <laughs> quit while the iron's quit hot, while right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you, Dean. Thank you very much. I'm sorry um, I was so elusive. No, no. I mean, yeah, obviously I've been trying to get in contact with you for a long time. And I know, you know, again, it's the same problem I have with uh, speaking to... Uh, everybody on this podcast it's more of a schedule my schedule their schedule and uh yeah. and making sure obviously you know yourself with the time zone difference as well and that's why while i was in the bahamas yeah. and i know you're in the states it made it a little bit easier to try and uh, it made it a lot easier yeah it's perfect uh, perfect so timing thank you very much for your time and um my pleasure and, Dean. Uh, thank yes, you i, I can't uh, i can't stop thanking you enough for uh, for what you've done for the industry and what you've done for uh, for my career yeah. as well thank you very much you're welcome take care Goodbye. I don't think Tony is a podcast listener, but to you out there who know Sir Duffy, I'm sure there are a few of you as well, please let him know how much I loved speaking to him. I can't state enough how much respect and grateful I am for Tony for what he did for me and many others like me in the industry. Tony, a top photographer, a legend, and a top bloke.
Many, many thanks for your time and I hope we can meet in person soon. To the next guest, I'm going to say sorry because you have to follow up after speaking to my favorite guest ever. So uh, good luck with that one. Question to my small group of listeners out there, do you want a Q&A episode? I had one a while back and got some interesting responses. So please email or tweet me with any questions and I will get an experienced sports photographer as well as stick in my two cents worth to answer them for you. Uh, you can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, AllSportSnapper, or my website, AllSportSnapper.com. As the people around the world who love sports photography is not that many, I will even say that writing one more question, so maybe asking two or three questions, uh, should be an easy enough to answer. So I look forward to hearing from uh, you out there in podcast land. iTunes reviews. Is that too much to ask? That's the big question I've written on my little piece of paper here. Um, I spend many hours here recording and editing each show and giving as much information for free as possible. So if you could put a sentence into iTunes and spread the word. There have been a couple of you, so thank you very much for doing that. Um, that'd be great. Um, I know sports photography already is, but you know this is part of the podcast as well. I think sports photography should be recognized as the art it is. Especially if you've listened to my guests and had a chance to look at some of their websites you'll realize that these guys are not just photographers, they are artists and they are getting amazing things out of uh, sometimes very average events. You can uh, subscribe to iTunes or SoundCloud or any other platform that you uh, are getting your podcast from. So many thanks for letting me into your headphones or car stereo. I would ask if you could just stick around after the music because I've added a few uh, very smart things that Tony had to say um, in the final music, which I'll uh, you'll hear, uh, which didn't make it into the final cut, but thought it would be interesting for the uh, budding photographers out there to have a listen to. And last thing for me, observe, listen, and practice, because your best photo could be one frame away. I wanted to say this earlier, but I wasn't sure how to put it. Because uh, a lot of time you were uh, asking me about the early days, but um, looking back on it, personality is so important. Do people like you? Do they respect you? You know, I'm not talking about other photographers now. I'm talking about clients, you know, the ability to get on with people. All these things come into it, come into the equation. It's not just about shooting. Shooting is the starting point. But anyhow, yeah.